0: Hello, and welcome to Eating, the show where we explore the ways in which food has become a human obsession. From sheer necessity to overt gluttony, I'm your host, Gabby Splyver. <laughs> Stories of culinary success have long been identified with the path of chefs who work their way up from street food to Michelin-class restaurants in large cities. However, to every rule, there is an exception. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to the esteemed Johnny Ray Zone, the chef owner of Howland Ray's in Chinatown's Far East Plaza in downtown L.A. Howland Ray's is the hottest new eatery on the L.A. food scene featuring Nashville-style hot chicken. Mr. Zone, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today and to talk about your phenomenal success. Definitely. Thanks for having me. So, why don't we start off uh, with you telling me a little bit about yourself and what initially drew you towards food and cooking?
1: Definitely, yeah. I mean, early on in my uh, life, you know, like 12, 14, I was always interested in basketball, you know, and, and playing like you know, on a collegiate level and things like that. And um, I took a trip out to New Mexico when I was like 16, 17 uh, for like a summer vacation. And had this burger that was just really mind-blowing in the sense that, it's like, everything was local. The, the peppers were grown locally. The bakery that baked the bread was, like, right down the street. And, you know, it wasn't even a beef burger. I think it was, like, uh, like bison or something like that. And it was just so good that um, it kind of, like, flipped me where I was like, you know what, I really want to know how to cook like this, you know? And it wasn't so much about just cooking a hamburger or, or cooking, you know, uh, fancy food or, or low end food or, or, what have you, it was more like, how can I cook with a purpose and with like soul, you know? And, um, so since then I kind of ditched the whole basketball efforts, you know, it was still played, but, um, I decided to start, you know, working in, um, uh, restaurants and I took a you know dishwashing job at a French restaurant um and kind of started to work my way up from there um but I started to see a lot of similarities between basketball and the kind of team environment in the kitchen you know and footwork like like I don't know if you know about like Shaquille O'Neal and like his footwork you know uh in, in the post and drop stepping and you know, it was very similar to this dance you're doing in the kitchen, where you're like juggling all these different saute pans, and you have all these things going on. And so I started to see a lot of similarities in it, and the passion just kind of grew, you know. And um, so then I started to kind of study and uh, ordered a book off of uh, Amazon, uh, the Culinary Institute of America textbook um, for like twenty or forty bucks or something like that, and I just started going deep into that book and studying it um on my off time simultaneously while i was working at uh, the French shot and uh from there you know i just kept kept going i uh, kept i uh, worked at a place you know for like about a year or two um uh, observing as much as i can uh, kind of pumped around a little bit um and eventually ended up working for the likes of uh, clare ramsey and thomas keller Nobu Matsuhisa and uh, doing a stage, you know, even for Sean Brock out in uh, Nashville, and um, it kind of took off
0: from there. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, that's amazing to see. Cause, um, I also know that, you know, you were on multiple um, popular cooking competition shows, like on Food Network, uh, including Cutthroat Kitchen and Beat Bobby Flay. How do you think that that type of notoriety kind of changed your feelings about food and cooking, or? developed um your career in the field
1: yeah for sure i, I mean i think with the you know pre-covid and, and everything going on with um, restaurants you know there, there's uh, especially with top chefs and um, a lot of these different shows um they kind of glamorized cooking a little bit you know like it glamorized the chefs with like rockstar things like that um a lot of the cooking shows it took me a while to to, like, actually accept, like, okay, I'll, I'll go on it kind of thing because in post-editing and things like that, they can really portray, you know, different sides of you, and there's there's a lot of different, uh, what is it, like, ways to edit a show, you know, and they, they really hold the control because it's their show. So um, it definitely helped, but it wasn't as helpful in my career as, say, putting in, you know, like eight years of just, you know uh, working with talented chefs and working under them and not necessarily like being my own boss yet you know i I would say it had more levity um in uh, the kind of apprenticeship approach versus the cooking shows
0: right i mean definitely from what uh you're describing i think you turned um successful restaurant touring just kind of on its head i mean you left some of the nation's most um, prestigious restaurants and working um, with amazing chefs to now serving your own food. What do you think kind of inspired you to to take that risk?
1: Yeah, that was the loss of my father. I took that as a uh, source of inspiration to go out and get it because, you know, I saw how fragile life is and how short life can be. You know, and so you might as well go out and and, and do it. Uh, go after your dreams and chase them. And, uh, be fearless, and you're going to make mistakes, but don't be afraid of mistakes. Um, and and just keep pushing.
0: All right, uh, that's definitely a very sobering experience, and. What do you think your greatest challenge when you decided to become, you know, a chef owner, what what was the greatest challenge you had to overcome to become that?
1: I think it, it's interesting, you know, challenges and, um, you know, mistakes in your career in general. As you keep going, uh, the challenges get bigger and bigger and bigger as long as you can keep dealing with those challenges. So... In terms of like the biggest challenges, I would say there's been a multitude of challenges. In the sense of, you know, a, prog- a progression throughout how that it's, it's growing, or even just you know the transition from a food truck to to a restaurant, and then even right now the challenge of what does a restaurant look like, you know, uh, post COVID. I'm designing the larger. Um, location in Pasadena here, and I, I, like I, I'm literally staring at you know these two computer screens, one being the front facade of the building, and then two uh, versions of the layout. Just like staring at it, and like just trying to think about like how do you how do you design a restaurant, you know, and what does it look like? Uh, because a lot of restaurants are struggling with like the the mask policy right now, or customers like not wearing masks correctly and things like that. So I would say the biggest challenge is yet to come, but there's been many challenges, and they've been kind of stepping stones for even bigger challenges.
0: Right. Just um, switch, switch it up a little bit. Um, why hot chicken?
1: Yeah. At the time, L.A. didn't have any hot chicken at all whatsoever. And when I first had it out in Nashville, I just fell in love with it so much that I I felt like I wanted to share it with other people and and the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, when we first started, I thought it was like so cool to be able to introduce the city of Los Angeles, which is a huge city, so culturally diverse, so, so much a melting pot um, I thought it would be so cool to introduce something to that city, uh, you know, my hometown and everything. And so I got just enamored with the dish and um, did research, met the families, realized um, my kind of cooking background. And then now you look at it today and there's like hundreds of um, chicken restaurants all over LA. So it's like pretty insane to film and think about, you know, but at the time, you know, just introducing it to the city was just uh, so exciting of a thing uh, for me.
0: Right. And I know that you uh, visited Nashville multiple times. Was was there something specific in um, their food culture there that really just spoke to you, that made you want to bring it back to L.A.? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, it was much more slowed down like of a uh, dining tape, you know. It was just so much more warm and non-rushed of an experience. Like, for example, if you go to a gas station out there, you know, the lady maybe taking your order will take forever and she's talking about her dog or, you know, it's her dog's birthday and she wants to dress him up and all this stuff and it's like, you, you just want to get, like, Gary or something and it's like, you know, uh, that was really interesting for me, being a city boy that grew up here in L.A. and going out to the south and kind of experiencing a little bit of Southern hospitality and, and having kind of um, slow, slowed it down a little bit, you know, that was that was something that was just very unique to me. Um, but also on top of it, you know, having chicken fried in quarters was a big deal, too, because most of the time you get fried chicken and it's like either a drumstick or a fry or a breast or a wing, but never is it really like a breast and a wing and the backbone of it's still attached or a thigh, a drumstick, attached in one piece with, like, a little part of the, the butt of the chicken, which is really, really an amazing chef favorite piece of the chicken. So um, a lot of that was, was very eye-opening to me.
0: So then when you decided to bring um, Hot Chicken to L.A., was there a specific reason that you picked Chinatown for this?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I could afford. I didn't want to franchise. I didn't want to, um, like, ask other people for money. Because how it works in, in the restaurant investing game is generally you'll have a backer or some sort of capital injection of, like, I don't know, like $400,000 or something, and you have to give them a portion of the business. So, I, I, the reason I started this was to kind of get homage and dedication to my dad. And, you know, I didn't want to just dilute my ownership in the company and then a few years down the road, like, have someone else telling me what to do because that's the whole point of maybe starting a business is because maybe you want to support the show or, or be in control. And I also didn't want a franchise because I, I, I'm i not trying to, like, sell out hot chicken. I'm not trying to, like, be the one that, like, um, is just opening up 20, 30 units or something. I I was always really inspired by brands and uh, restaurants or, or experiences that are unique but also special, you know? And um, that was, that was important to me as well. So the reason why we... Was Chinatown, or Chinatown shows us just through a few different relationships that we had with other chefs, and uh, kind of going into Plaza, the, the relationship with the landlord, and the fact that like yeah, we didn't have as much capital, so we needed to kind of figure out work with what we could, you know?
0: Right, and um, I mean now you're, uh, your your walk up restaurant is, I mean, massively successful, so how do you think that your passion um, for food kind of influences what you want other people to experience when they come into Howland Howl and Raise?
1: Well I think you know understanding what makes you jazzed about something and what makes you passionate about something is very important uh, because once you identify those factors then you can kind of share that with others and also explore that and teach that to others too because a huge part of our success hasn't been the fact that it's hot chicken. It's been the fact that um, people uh, love the experience, the ambiance, the employees, the, the music, the, the feeling they get when they walk in. The, there's so much more magic to it than just hot chicken, and, you know, that's the thing that um, I think some of, or a lot of these other hot chicken places uh, maybe are missing, you know, is that there's a specialness, there's a uniqueness within you know, uh, you kind of create this perfect alchemy of uh, all these different things. And so, a huge part of Alan uh, Raven's success has been that hospitality, that, you know, the style and the grace with how my wife handles, you know, social media and marketing and uh, packaging and all that stuff. It's, it's really a combination of so many different elements um, instead of just hot
0: chicken right um how do you think you inspire your crew specifically to to make um visiting howling race such a welcoming and exciting experience like so many people talk about
1: i think you know a big part of my success has been working with them side by side um treating them very well paying them very well setting no ceilings for individuals so like you can go as far as you you want to go um, and also, everybody's different. You know, you can't, you can't, that's another reason why i not taking on investors or Franchise or whatever, it, it, it has been our path, is that um, each individual has different needs and different skill sets and different traits that make them them. And, you know, it's important to identify people's strengths and weaknesses and help cultivate them because then it becomes more, than a job because they're gaining life skills that they will have for the rest of their life and that they can utilize in their personal lives to be a better human being or a more efficient, you know, individual. And so I think by being able to offer more than just, you know, a paycheck has been um, uh, another key factor because then your, your staff's jazz. They're excited and they kind of want to go to work. Um, so a lot of that um helps me inspire the staff and keep them motivated and aligned and focused on you know the tasks at
0: hand right i mean that definitely shows i mean walking through and um, so i know that you serve your chicken at five different heat levels which one do you think is the most popular and why do you think it is
1: I think the medium is the most popular because people want that kind of like pressure heat um, and there's a good balance between not spicy and kind of spicy. I mean, for a lot of restaurants, sometimes you get something in a big it to be spicy, but it's not really that spicy. So your expectations are kind of off. And I think part of like a dining experience is, you know, you, you go into something kind of expecting something and with us fortunately like you know the expectations are really high so we have to really deliver on it and with spice you know you expect something if it if it's going to have some spice to it to to actually have you know a little bit of heat you know and so um our medium is a really good balance uh, for some people it might be spicy and uh, we feel like it's a true medium in terms of what a medium should be and um that's that's our most popular heat level um but yeah the, the hot is is widely ordered as well along with the mild and now we're offering a uh, medium plus which is rated right between medium uh, and hot so it's like uh right in the middle and uh that's that's becoming popular as well Right,
0: and i think uh social media has definitely you know helped with your success and um What other ways do you feel that it's kind of, like, impacted the way we eat?
1: Oh, for sure. I think uh, you've seen it all over the place right now with um, so many different restaurants promoting on there or um, different kind of niche. You see a lot of stuff with, like, hot Cheeto burritos or hot Cheeto Mm -hmm. uh, cheese on them or hot Cheeto crusty chicken or, you know, like, you you see a lot of interesting food trends um, and I think social media has kind of shifted it more of like a casual craved kind of almost carnivalish food type thing with a mix of some super authentic things like the, the, the beer of tacos you know, like uh, has been trending and I think so with social media uh, it's, it's taken food to a little bit more of a casual kind of realm and it's enabled small mom and pop restaurants to kind of, you know, go viral and, um, do something unique, you know, that's just kind of like out of left field and, uh, people just kind of jump onto it. Um, but also at the same time, you know, it, uh, becomes something where then a certain content might get watered down or so many people see it and, they're, and then they're like, I want to do that and then jump in and try and do it type thing. Um, so I think in terms of how it's affected us in terms of eating, I think it's uh, definitely contributing to food trends that are uh, controlling what's on menus or, or, you know, what people want to kind of serve or, or, or even the different concepts that are coming out. So um, it's definitely having an impact for sure.
0: Right. Um, it's, even with um, social media, kind of with trends and changing what people like and what they see... Um, what foods do you think are, I guess, your personal favorite, whether it's a type or a dish, and why?
1: Yeah, I'm a big uh, sucker for Thai food. I love Thai food to be really spicy. Um, it's, they have so many different dishes, whether there's like a large dish, which is, um, you know, like you can choose a protein, usually it's ground pork, um, uh, peanuts, mint, lemongrass. Um, Lime, uh, chili, you know, fish sauce. It hits your palate on so many different uh, levels, whether it's like acid, spice, savoriness, texture with peanuts, um, you know, and sweet, sour, you know, with like that fish sauce. It's kind of like sour and efferous nasty, you know, kind of like rotten fish, but it still has this umami to it. So Thai is a big one for me that I love to dive into. Um, there's a lot of different Thai dishes that like uh, are some of my favorites, like Yum nuo, which is like a, a beef salad that they cook the beef and then kind of chill it. see with cucumbers, um, usually with like cabbage. Um, again, you know, a lot of like some mint in there, some uh, lemongrass, chilies, and it's just really delicious. Um, and then you, the sauce from all the drippings of the steak Like all the juice, the steak juice mixes with all, all, all all that lime juice and fish sauce and stuff. And then you take sticky rice, um, which is like this type of like rice that's like kind of stuck together, almost like a brick, and you usually use your hands to pull it apart. And you dip that in the sauce that the the steak's sitting in, and stuff. It's just so delicious and so good. Um, And then you know, tacos. I'm a huge taco guy. Growing up in L.A., I mean, I love. Uh, the little mini taco, corn uh, kind of taco trucks, um, like like the smaller sized ones, um, with you know the corn tortillas and um, lingua, which is the beef tongue that's just super tender and almost more uh, savory than like like an assata, um and then mixed with cilantro, onion, you know,
0: and
1: yeah, some different on it. It's just delicious and so satisfying, and then a spritz of lime right on top. You know, um, I've always been a huge fan of, of soccer and all the different taco trucks and all the different ways of different you know, taco restaurants serving it. There, there's so many different styles from different regions, you know, that, that are, are just so delicious. It's been a huge part of me growing up in LA, you know, um, and, and eating that. Um, I'm a big French fry guy, you know. I uh, grew up at this middle school. On Myra Avenue called Thomas V. R. King. Across the way, they had this little shack that had a... uh, It was called the Corner Grill. And they would serve French fries with, like, the special seasoning salt on it. And they would serve it, like, in a bag, like a brown bag, the same brown bags that, like, 40s come in, like... uh, Or alcohol comes in. They would use that for uh, their fries. And... Like, just something about eating out of a bag, you know, I, 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 simultaneously, I'd be eating, like, I don't know, Hot Cheetos, like, I was a big Hot Cheeto kid, I ate too many of those, uh, when I was young, I had to get my appendix cut out due to that, Um, (laughs) so careful with with Hot Cheetos, for sure, but something about eating out of a bag, it was just very nostalgic, very comforting, and I think, you know, you see success in the chip industry, and even the way they, they make the bags, sound crispy so as you eating the, the chips you feel like they're crispier than they actually are um you know it, it's just uh I don't know that, that, was, that was definitely a favorite food of mine now I can't really eat them if my wife has a bag going around and I see it you know like the whole bag's kind of gone like I'll go for one <laughs> or two but then it's just it's all oh, gone right um I, I don't know It's just so addictive um yeah, that, that process of eating out of a bag. So I kind of tied that into our french fries, you know, in Helen raise and we serve it in a little light bag that's, you know, like, even, like, right. similar kind of experience to eating out of a bag like potato chips or french fries. Um, Ooh, yeah, and then a classic burger. You know, I love burgers. I'm a big, uh, simple burger guy um, where it's just uh, pretty straightforward, all your traditional kind of components on it. Um but yeah, I mean, that, that, those are some of my, like, comfort foods because growing up and cooking a lot of fancy food, um, sometimes you wanted just something simple and kind of down to earth, you know, on your time off.
0: Right. Um, definitely. And definitely LA is the place to eat, I mean, food out of a bag. And, um, kind of to wrap things up here, we got time for one more question, um, The pandemic has kind of had, you know, a significant impact on small businesses and particularly restaurants. Um, How are you not only responding to this challenge, but what do you think um, the future will bring to this? This will bring to the future of eating out and for Howland Rays.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the small businesses in L.A. are what kind of shape and create a sense of identity for what Los Angeles is, and I definitely want them to, to persist and um, push through and move forward with, you know, all the difficulties that COVID has been presenting. And so I'm definitely, you know, helping out doing doing calls and, you know, kind of like mentoring people and, and, and just reaching out, and, you know, being close on, like, social media if anybody needs help, type stuff. And in terms of us shifting, you know, we've gone to for the past about a year, delivery only. Um, so you don't have to wait in a two-hour line or whatever. Um, you can just order it on Postmates and, like, it's brought to you. Um, and so that kind of shifted the model a little bit, but it's been really great for us because it's very safe where one driver will pick up four orders of uh, food for four different uh, people or four different groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> That's been interesting learning for on um, on delivery and, and making that work. Um, we actually haven't even opened up for you know uh, takeout or or anything like that yet because we didn't want to encourage too many people conglomerating or you know like like uh, showing up to the restaurant. Um, so we've still been just on delivery only. But as things are slowly opening up, we look forward to uh, you know offering takeout and, and more options uh, for our guests.
0: Right. Well. Well, Mr. Zone, uh, it was a pleasure to speak with you today and to hear your thoughts on eating. I I wish you continued success. And um, again, Howlin' Rays is in Chinatown's Far East Plaza in downtown LA um, between North Hill Street and North Broadway Street. And as Mr. Zone said, it's up for delivery on Grubhub, You said. Postmates. Uh, okay. Postmates. Awesome. So, for more info and links to Hal and Ray's social media, go to kpcradio.com. I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Gabby flavor leaving to get something to eat.